Hello, I'm Jason Barnwell, and I work on legal business operations and strategy for Microsoft. Microsoft hosted a trusted advisor forum in June of 2019 focused on design thinking. This event brought together our legal professionals, our business professionals, and our outside counsel to create a shared learning experience facilitated by the design and process experts of Bold Duck Studio. The goal was to build skills that help our people foster practice innovation. We want them to be able to describe their work and how they would improve it. We want to catalyze the work re-engineering process to accelerate our modern legal practice. Sometimes that means building tool-supported experiences that employ technology. But it always starts with better communication, more effective coordination, and a shared understanding of the work we do together. Rebecca Benavidez, Director of Legal Business at Microsoft, was this event's architect. She will introduce the primary instructors and two model participants, and they will share stories that explain why we made this investment, what the experience was like, and the impact we want to create. Take it away, Rebecca. Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of our uh, Business of Law podcast. Today's topic is design thinking. Um, for many of you that have listened to our podcast, you know that one of the tenets of our law firm engagement program is to teach our law firm partners more about our business, as well as increase collaboration between our internal legal team members and outside counsel. Our trusted advisor events are just one way that we execute on, on that goal. And we've done these on a number of topics. This past June, we did a workshop on design thinking and practice venturing. Um, we did that because based on our innovation session that we did in the fall, we realized that we needed to give people tools to identify the challenges and opportunities that they face in their daily work and then develop effective solutions that are sustainable. Um, we are speaking today with the group that helped us facilitate that wonderful session, uh, the founders of Bold Duck Studio, Josh Kabicki and Kim Craig. We're also joined by two attendees of the event, Joe Nord, who's a lawyer in our competition law group here at Microsoft, and Grant Hewlett, who is a manager of client business and advisory solutions at Reed Smith LLP. So I'm very happy to have this group of folks with me on the call today, and I think it's going to be a lively discussion. So with that, I'm actually going to give everybody a chance to introduce themselves. So, and in order to not sort of talk over each other, We'll start with Kim, we'll go to Josh, Joe, and then Grant. So Kim, take it away. Hi, yes, this is Kim Craig from Bold Duck. And my background, I've spent my entire career in big law. Basically, that means working with legal teams, both in law firms and law departments. Really, first, focused on modernizing, centralizing operational areas of some of those organizations, and later in the last decade plus, introducing law firms and the legal industry at large to legal project management, to Lean Six Sigma, really helping to drive change across the organization, rethinking, revisiting the delivery of legal services. and had the opportunity to stand up and build one of the industry's largest teams of legal project managers, legal solutions architects, folks who um, brought technology closer to the practice of law on the client-facing side. And we worked arm-in-arm -arm with 
um, the lawyers in working with the clients, being a liaison between the client and the law firm, as well as then consulting with law departments to bring those disciplines to them to help them uh, increase the value to the business at large. So had the opportunity to then work with Josh and mash kind of my background in process centricity and process improvement with design thinking business design, which brings us to today. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Josh Kubicki. Um, so uh, quick, real quick intro on me. Um, I like to say I began my professional career as a, a lawyer um, because I went to law school. I graduated. I got barred. Um, but I actually took a very non-traditional route, um, meaning I, I didn't go inside a law firm to practice. I actually became a, uh, an employee uh, with Bell Atlantic, which is now Verizon, as a member of their in-house function. Um, I always say that I began life on the business side of the law, and that's where I've remained versus the practice side of the law. Um, so my role at Verizon was very much sort of on the operation side. How does the in-house team function? How do they interact with their outside counsel? How do they interact mostly with their business units? And so I was often dispatched to the business units to really sort of help them understand what the legal function does, understand how best to work with them, and vice versa in terms of the legal function and the business units. That sort of set up my entire career, unbeknownst to me at that time. Um, and to sort of fast forward over the last 20 years since that sort of happened, um, I've been working with law firms, large and small, in-house teams where there's you know one in-house counsel to hundreds, all sort of around this notion of how do you redesign the legal function, legal services within a practice area, within a business need to better serve the needs of that customer or client. And so heavily involved in operating models, in business models, as well as sort of service models as well. And that's sort of really probably the best way to sort of, you know, introduce me to the listeners and all of you. Great. Joe, do you want to you want to go next? Sure. Thanks, Rebecca. And thanks for having me on the podcast today. Uh, this is my first time podcasting, so I'm very excited. Uh, my name is Joe Nord. Uh, I am an attorney in the competition law group here in Microsoft's corporate external and legal affairs department. Uh, we have a small team of folks who concentrate on uh, competition law or antitrust law for all you U.S. practitioners out there. I've been at Microsoft for a little over four years. Uh, and prior to that, I did antitrust law at a firm in Washington, D.C. And prior to that, I did general litigation at a firm in New York, which is where I went to law school and undergrad. So I am a relatively recent Pacific Northwest transplant, but longtime antitrust lawyer and excited for the discussion. Great. Grant? Thanks, Rebecca. And, uh, and like Joe, I'm also a podcast rookie. Uh, so I, I appreciate uh, appreciate the chance to, to get on and speak with everybody and, and have a good discussion. So uh, I'm the uh, Client Business and Advisory Solutions Manager at Reed Smith LLP. I sit in the uh, Life Sciences and Health Industry Practice Group, actually. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, 
I've been with this group in big law now for a little over two years. Uh, I was previously at Deloitte Consulting for a couple of years uh, doing uh, SNO and technology engagements. And, um, you know, I was very excited um, to be in the consulting realm, uh, being a non-attorney myself with a business background and a data analytics background. Consulting was very appealing to me because there's that, that opportunity of partnership um, and so when a couple of the partners that I now work with uh, reached out, they, you know, uh, they had the uh, typical Keep Austin weird vibe about them that they wanted to change the way law was practiced. And they uh, were finding themselves uh, bidding with the PWCs, the voice of the world, and wanted to, uh, you know, to be able to step in on some of that market and uh, convince me to, to give them a shot. And uh, it's been the best uh, been the best move ever since. I work with uh, in-house teams with our clients. I work with on litigation matters with other partners in our firm and uh, try to provide that uh, consultant client service delivery experience um, to our clients. Um, and so, so, yeah, I'm excited to, to further this conversation. Great. So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to maybe help the audience sort of set the stage for this podcast and what we're going to talk about is maybe talk a little bit about the workshop that we did in June. So the reason that that I went to Bold Duck was because I had co-presented with Kim at a um, associated Association of Corporate Counsel Legal Ops um, panel in which she did this wonderful interactive exercise with a group of strangers and actually had them process mapping legal challenges. Um, And it was just amazing because in, in a matter of, you know, 20 minutes, she had this group of, you know, people who didn't know each other at all, who were inclined to just sit in their seats up and around the room and interacting and really talking and engaging and taking these hypotheticals like really quite seriously. Um, So it made me think that that was the kind of energy that that we needed to bring to to our uh, advisor forum, especially one on such a heady topic as design thinking. So I wonder, Josh, if you can maybe help the audience understand, you know, what is the workshop that you did for Microsoft? Um, How did you design it? And at the same time, how that sort of overlays with the work that Bold Duck does in general? Yeah, so, you know, it's always it's always challenging to talk about this because what we we bold duck typically don't do is is offer like off the shelf training. You know, we're not sort of a training company and trying to get our heads around what actually our clients want. And you guys had you had a very diverse group in there of not just Microsoft people, you know, um, but we had some outside providers in there as well. You had one team in particular that had a very gnarly challenge. They have a very gnarly challenge. So so the tact we took there is we're not quite sure what people's awareness level is or comfort level is with things like design or lean or, or even strategy. And we sort of said, okay, let's let's figure this out. We've got to create an experience that's somewhat unique to each person and is even throughout the group. 
And the best way we tried to do that was using hypotheticals, which you you sort of know and you, you helped us sort of design. That that immediately immerses people into the the program, if you will. Um, so we tackled you know design, which I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna go into here in a moment. Uh, we brought Lean and Lean Six Sigma to bear um, because our view, our methodology incorporates both of those disciplines, and we did some sort of light strategy, which. For, for the listener, when we talk about strategy, it's it's why are we even doing these things? Like, what are you trying to accomplish as a legal function or what are you trying to accomplish as a service line? What kind of value, measurable value are you trying to offer to the business? And is that the right kind of value? So we tried to package that up and for the group and then really sort of get them immersed in it as quickly as possible so that if we use technical terms, otherwise known as jargon, right? They immediately have a touchstone for what that term means. We're not just throwing a bunch of things like um, empathy or, you know, what is change management? Um, we, we try to get them directly involved with feeling the pain or feeling what that actually, that experience is like when you're trying to understand the problem from someone else's perspective. So that's sort of how we created that, that entire experience try to anyway. Yeah. And you mentioned it that, yeah, why don't we maybe start by giving the audience a definition of, of your thoughts on design thinking, particularly as it applies to the legal industry, because we have a lot of listeners that are part of the legal industry. And we're going to have a lot of listeners who are thinking about sort of different ways that they approach the work that they do. Um, and so how does design thinking fit into that? And, and what is it, quite honestly? Oh, it's always, you know, in preparation. And we get asked this question a lot. And so I, I have to say this. I don't want to alienate any of the folks out there. There's an immense amount of interest in design thinking or even legal design. Um, and as you guys know, Jason Moyce, who covered the event and his write-up actually spoke about it and, and his perspective was, we shouldn't be calling things legal design. I just wanna park all that stuff aside because I think it's a, those are worthy conversations to have as our sophistication in this market with new methods and tools, you know, continues to accelerate. But for this purpose, for the, the conversation today, the way that we view design thinking is it's not an end in and of itself. Um, it's really a, a specialized methodology where you're trying to really uncover an unmet or unarticulated need that a customer has that they may not be able to articulate themselves or they are, but you need to validate that, right? Because often when we're discussing a challenge or pain point, you know, ourselves, we're bringing our own sort of biases to it. And we're not really cognizant of what we might be bringing to the table and how we define that need or that problem. So design thinking's method is really a powerful way to really control for that bias and really sort of find an uh, and qualify an unmet need then it tries to actually design a solution and it can be incredibly powerful with that. Now, this is where we separate from where a lot of the conversation is in the legal realm right now. We don't believe design thinking in and of itself, in and of itself actually accomplishes the main problem. 
We don't have an idea generation problem in the legal vertical. There's lots of smart people with lots of great ideas coming up with great problems to solve and great solutions. Bull Duck recognizes through our experience, that's not the problem. We're focused on integration, right? How do you actually integrate that solution or that problem into the culture, into the business practices, into the operating model, right? And that for us is where you separate design thinking from really our core discipline, which is business design, which is taking that that problem, that challenge and ingesting it into the business so that you're converting that customer problem into value for them, but also for the business, for the legal function, so on and so forth. So I don't know, does that work for people here? Please pipe in. Well, well, yeah. So why don't we take it to some of our, our attendees? Um, you know, one of the things that I think might be interesting for, for Joe to, to share is, you know, given what Josh just said, having attended the event, um, you know, what, as you went through the process in the room, where were the things that stood out to you as someone who is an internal lawyer at Microsoft, but also serving greater sort of business needs as Josh Josh pointed out, what were some of the sort of aha moments? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I came to the event without uh, really knowing what to expect and without any preconceived notions and, and found that it was a very interesting and, and useful approach to thinking carefully about the processes you have in, in play for how you get your work done, um, how to think about them and how to think about improving them. Um, and what I really liked about it was kind of coming at the problem of, of, of how to design, you know, really good work streams from two angles. One from the angle of, you know, having a, a lean, efficient, carefully thought out and mapped process that you follow. Uh, but then on the other hand, balancing that with the needs of you know, individual human beings uh, who are not robots and, and who are not mechanical and, and uh, making sure that you sort of marry those two concepts of process and design somewhere in the middle so that you're accomplishing work in a way that uh, you know, is, is repeatable and efficient, but that also works for the people that you collaborate with. Um, and it's approachable and manageable. So that was a kind of a great um, overarching concept to to approach uh, process and and workflow from. Uh, and then sort of more specifically, we did a couple exercises that were pretty interesting. Um, one of which was the concept of uh, sort of lean six sigma process mapping, and you know. Lean Six Sigma is a thing that you hear about. I, being a lawyer and not a business person, have never had to implement it in my daily practice. So it was fun to learn about what all the cool project managers and consultants that I've engaged with over the years were actually talking about, uh, and then learn a little bit about how that's put into practice. Um, and, you know, process mapping as Josh and his team explained it to us is is a method of, okay, you've got a workflow, you've got a type of project that you do on a semi-repeated basis. Uh, so what are the steps you take to, to do the project, to do the workflow? Who's involved at each step? What are they doing? Let's put it all up on a whiteboard and let's uh, work our way through it. And, you know, that process is always a little bit more con complex than you anticipate initially. And it also is a great way of exposing 
bottlenecks and points of inefficiency and things like that, that you take a step back and realize that you can improve. Um, and that was uh, a really sort of obvious, but uh, not some, that thing, but not something that I had previously thought about or been taught to do in the fast paced world of, um, you know, providing legal counsel, either in practice or in-house. Uh, and so it was something that I was able to take back to my team and, and quickly say, uh, hit the ground running with, you know, Hey, you know, we have some repeated practices that we have. We have some repeated motions. Why don't we apply this framework to, to sort of taking them apart and dissecting who's doing what how the process is working and see if there's places we can improve. Uh, and that sort of had an immediate impact on, on how we were looking at some of the workflows that we have. Uh, and we're still working through that process, which, which was very, very valuable. Yeah, well, that's great because I think what you've sort of unpacked in all of that, and I think, you know, Josh, jump in and, and, and sort of comment on it is kind of that combined effort, the combined um, sort of topics around design thinking, Lean Six Sigma, and then change management. So those are all very important parts. And you did a great job at the session of sort of breaking those down. And I think, you know, Joe just did a great sort of overview of how that plays into practice. Um, and so I wonder if you might sort of do a little bit of that for the audience, sort of understanding how lean and sort of design thinking works together and what the difference might be. Um, and then also sort of, I just, I would love to touch on the change management and any one of you can jump in on this because I often feel like that is the hardest part of anything. You said it, we can have great ideas. There's no shortage of great ideas. We can do wonderful process mapping exercises. We can design like really great solutions, but landing it with your user and your intended user base is always the hardest part. So I wonder if you can sort of help us unpack all of that in, in you know, 10 seconds or less. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, let's let's tackle that change management part first, because that's where the human element really comes in. Okay. And and it's not that Lean Six Sigma doesn't emphasize humans. It, it's just that design, I mean, literally, usually when you hear the word design or design thinking, immediately following it is either one word empathy or two words, one word hyphenated, human centered. Right. And so like when you hear Joe talk, right, when you talk about process mapping and, and when we talk about this, lots of lawyers, it's tough to talk about process mapping in a way that that viscerally extracts the value from doing it, because the very thing that process mapping is trying to control for is people's unspoken habits, our heuristics. I used the word biases before. When we're doing our jobs on a day-to-day -day basis, we're not we're only conscious of a few of the tasks, mental gymnastics and things that we're going through. And sometimes it's associated directly with creating the work product. Sometimes it's directly associated with getting peers to take action. All that sort of hidden what we call business practices um is part of the process mapping experience. And what it forces to the surface is a reckoning with, okay, when I'm trying to get this thing done, what are all the other things that surround that, that are in orbit around that, that I'm also simultaneously managing? I'm managing 
the team. I've got to send an email to my boss to make sure that she's coming along, like her executive sponsorship, like that nuanced communication that often is associated with getting work done in an enterprise or organization. We just simply don't pay attention to that. We, we would be we would be completely stunned into paralysis if if our daily lives, we constantly kept track of that in our head. The process mapping it extracts that. Why does that matter to change management? It's that hidden nuance. It's that hidden behavior that often are the obstacles to change. And when you don't articulate them with a new process or even the current process, no one has anything to react to. No one has anything to acknowledge. And that that becomes an immovable, unrecognized force. So you're taking a process. One of the biggest challenges with process mapping and lean or, or objections to it is, well, great, you design this in a vacuum, but this is my world, right? It doesn't fit into my world. What people are actually saying, what we've learned in our experience, they don't really mean that. They're meaning that we haven't associated that work and all those heuristics and biases and taken those into account and, and, and said, okay, this is sort of the entire experience of getting work done. This is where the experience is probably horrendous for you or where there's a lot of added frustration um, and so on and so forth. Once you start to have that dialogue, it tends, it's not a recipe for success. There's no pure recipe for success here. That tends to start to open channels to the change behavior. It doesn't cure it, but just recognize it. Now, and I'll, then I'll shut up because you asked the question, I want to be responsive. The design element, if you recall from our exercise that we spent time together, we didn't just process map. We did this lightly in the room, but we had you guys actually say, okay, focus on your user who's experiencing this and where does the process experience really shine those critical moments of, oh my gosh, this is exactly the user saying to themselves, this is exactly what I wanted or where it's horrible, where it's like, oh my gosh, like seriously, this is, I can't get what I want. I've got to send my fifth email. That's sort of that design layer. And then we also had you guys say, okay, as the providers of that service for yourself, where are those critical moments? That's adding that sort of human layer, and that's sort of our way of starting to hotwire, if you will, or hack that change management component into sort of the process. Is that helpful? Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, I think so, and I think we've got sort of a good example. I mean, Joe hinted at this, but he actually took back what he learned during the session and did an exercise with his team. Um, and I wonder, Joe, if you, you sort of hinted at it and talked a little bit about it when you were answering the question earlier, but I wonder if you might sort of, again, sort of um, give the audience a view as to how you took all of what you learned at the workshop, what Josh has discussed here, and actually put it into practice with just a, with a process mapping exercise and how you took sort of that user experience into it, um, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as, as I noted, you know, uh, in, in our group here at Microsoft, we have some work streams that we do on a, you know, semi-repeated basis. Um, and we took one of the larger ones that we have. Uh, and I sat down with my manager, with another attorney on my team, and with uh, one of our paralegals who, who supports us in this work stream. And we just 
grabbed a conference room with a big old whiteboard and a couple stacks of stickets, uh, yellow sticky notes. And uh, we all sat down and this is a sort of a work stream that all of us have a hand in and we sort of said, all right, when do you come to this process and what do you do? And we kind of all wrote down the tasks that we do where we do them and where we thought they sort of fit into the overall process. We also uh, sort of thought about what information streams we needed to get our work done and where we got those information streams from, where we accessed those information streams, and then what our sort of output was and, and where uh, in the organization that goes to. Um, and we kind of threw it all up uh, on a board. Um, and we paid special attention to sort of dependencies we had on each other and also externalities, um, you know, dependencies we had on other groups uh, outside of our own over whom we had, you know, maybe less control in a given situation um, in terms of like when we got information or what format it was in. Uh, and we threw that all up on the board and that was a great experience to learn how everyone was doing their work and where they thought the points of friction were. And it also allowed us to sort of share our best practices for the pieces that we were responsible for and maybe switch around some of those roles and responsibilities on the margins where it made sense. Um, so not necessarily a specific example from here, but you know, one, one example is you're in private practice, you give an associate uh, a research assignment and you say, hey, uh, here's a legal question. Please answer the legal question and, you know, cite your sources, of course. Um, <laughs> and then that person goes off and does their little legal research memo and they come back to you with an email or a memo or an answer. You have no idea what they did um, in most cases and frequently you don't ask. Uh, you just see whatever they get back and you give them some comments, maybe you revise a little bit and you move on. But digging deep into the processes that everyone is following is really eye-opening um, and it gives you an appreciation for where a lot of work goes into seemingly simple tasks um, or where seemingly complex tasks can get broken down into constituent parts that make them feel easier. Um, so that was the exercise. And we're sort of still working through, um, you know, whether we want to make changes to our processes uh, and how that's going to look. But just the act of all sitting down and taking a process that we kind of take for granted and just mapping it all out uh, just helped us learn a lot about each other, about, you know, our strengths, things that we could be doing to support each other and, and provide additional um, pieces of info that are helpful or, or, you know, put a hand in somewhere where we hadn't been putting hands in before to make things move more quickly or more efficiently. So uh, really, really valuable. And also, I think just a good team exercise uh, to, to get folks to appreciate what each other are, are doing intellectually and also sort of, uh, you know, from a team bonding perspective uh, of just, hey, man, we're, we're all in this together and we're, we're rowing in the same direction, uh, which, which was great. No, that sounds great. And it sounds, at least from what you're describing, is that people got a lot out of the session once they were in it and once they completed it. Um, I think one of the interesting things, so I'm not professionally trained in project management, but I have done it and I've done it at a law firm. Um, and, and I remember trying to get these process mapping exercises done. Um, and, you know, I, I remember the eye rolls and the confused looks from uh, participants. And I wonder if you can share how you got your team 
um, you know, what was their engagement level? How did you get them engaged? How did you introduce the idea of doing a process mapping exercise? Um, and how, basically, how did you sell it to your team? Um, and then I'd love to hear from Kim, because like I said, the reason I went to Bold Duck is I was part of one of her great sessions. And I'd like her to share with the audience what she does to make these such great interactive, but also really beneficial learning exercises as you know, they're very fun, but you know, um, you also learn something out of it. So, so I'll start with Joe, you know, how did you get your team engaged? And then Kim, I'd love to hear, you know, how you keep people engaged and, and keep the room sort of hopping. Yeah. So I just pitched it to the folks I wanted to meet with and, uh, explained to them that this is sort of how I thought it should go in terms of mapping on a whiteboard and learning a little bit about, um, you know, all of the work streams, making sure everyone has full visibility into all the work streams we were contributing to your particular workflow um, and where we were getting things from and, and how we were doing it. And uh, I, I thought it would take, you know, I don't know, an hour or so. And, um, you know, everyone was kind of happy to put it on the calendar, you know, uh, maybe next month or six weeks from now. So we sort of put it off in, in the distance. Uh, and then as it approached, everyone is, as always, quite busy. So I think we were all, uh, you know, oh, we have this on the calendar today. Uh, this is a, a big chunk of time. Let's see if we really need it. Maybe we can rush through this. But um, when you sit down and you kind of get the ball rolling, it just kind of rolls on its own. And, and it, you know, before we knew it, we'd been doing it for an hour, then an hour and a half, and then almost two hours, just getting everything, everything up. Uh, and it was really, you know, I think quite helpful for everybody uh, for the reasons I sort of explained before. Um, and I think, you know, the response I got from other folks on the team was just that it's it's not always that you get the chance to take a step back and look at a 30,000 foot view of a complex work stream that multiple people are contributing to both within an organization and outside of an organization. And so getting that view, I think makes everybody feel comf more comfortable with their own role in the process and makes people feel more comfortable in the process overall, um, right? Because you no longer have those, you're like, well, this isn't the piece that I work on. And I assume that, you know, so-and-so uh, does everything correctly. And of course they do, but, you know, now you just have better visibility uh, and you share information and you share best practices. And, uh, it, you know, in a team as small as mine, like we kind of do this anyway all the time. So this is something we sort of do naturally and have baked into just our general workflow, but also having time set aside to do it and really focus on it and being mindful of doing it when we were doing it, I think, you know, added some, you know, just made it that much more effective. Sort of yeah. How, how, how I put it. And I think you just so one thing I think for is important for the audience to know is just how important it is for the competition law group at Microsoft to scale because you are a team of how many? Uh, we just have a handful of folks here in Redmond. Uh, we have um, a colleague in Europe and a colleague in Asia. Um, but yeah, we we provide all of the competition and antitrust law support to our entire you know one hundred and forty thousand plus uh, employee organization, which is quite a, quite a few folks all around the world globally. Um, you know, every jurisdiction you can think of that has a competition law, we are you know, practicing in that jurisdiction in one form or fashion. Um, so yeah, we, we stay close to each other and, and, and 
it's incredibly important that we do so. Um, but you know, also equally as important as taking the time to to think through our workflows and, and make sure we're always being as efficient uh, and effective as possible, which I like to think we are. Um, <laughs> but but you know, with the acknowledgement that there's you know you got to continuously try to improve to to make sure you're you're staying right there. Yeah. And and Kim, I sort of tailed off at the end with that question, and it, again. How do you and, and where did you sort of come up with the way? So one, I think it's helpful for people to describe the way that you've done some of these process mapping exercises in these larger groups. Um, and how did you come upon the design for that? Why do you think it's important and effective? Um, and um, you know what is what has been the feedback from groups that you've worked with um, in bringing that sort of to bear in these workshops? Sure. So with many of the groups that we've worked with, before we even step into a room or a forum to do the dissection of a process, to do that process mapping, we're often working to define why we're even coming together. Is it, you know, what problem are we looking to solve? What challenge? What opportunities in front of us? So we try to build that consensus from the team so that as they step forward into that environment, they have some curiosity, they're interested, they're working toward a common goal. And we try to supplement the group that we pull together with diversity of experience, of um, depth of areas they touch in and such so that there's a good representation of the people that are involved in the process. So as they start off, as Joe said, many times the hardest thing is getting started, like getting that first task up on the wall, getting that defined. Once people get into the mode and they begin to share the way that they work, the knowledge sharing just starts to organically, naturally happen and people feed off of each other. And facilitating that is important in that you are extracting input from everyone. And again, when we do this with many of the legal teams will include not only the expert lawyers, but also business professionals. So in our world, it could be legal project managers, legal ops people, other people from the organizations in technology and such, so that we're looking at and devising what is the best way to design this service? How can we, in an open um, white space, share what works, what doesn't work today. And people become very open when you cultivate kind of that environment where they feel like they can, you know, say things out loud and catch themselves many times like, oh, well, we do that because we've always done it that way. And they start to just begin to identify those areas for improvement. And that, like I said, that knowledge sharing of best practices begins to evolve. So when we've tried to do this in shorter periods of time where we'll be respectful of people's time, so we'll grab an hour here and maybe next week another hour, 
it's been much more productive and I've changed the approach we've taken. As Joe said, when you get people in the room for this common purpose and we're trying to build a common understanding of an improved um, approach to these, doing it in a longer chunk where you don't disrupt kind of that flow and process and carve out that time, they get off go much quicker and they walk out at the end of the day advancing already from what they're doing today to an improved approach. That's great. And I don't I don't want to leave Grant out of the conversation. He's sort of been quietly listening to all this. Um, and I think, you know, Kim pointed out some really great things with what, you know, she she does and what we did during the workshop. It was sort of the idea of, of breaking down the why, like, why are we doing something, um, getting people engaged and curious about what others have to share and hear and then bringing kind of diverse perspectives. So to give folks a little bit more um, sort of context to the event, it was a half-day workshop. We had our outside counsel there. We had our internal lawyers, but we also had a lot of um, team members within our legal department that are project managers, business managers, analysts, all kinds of other roles, because that is what supports our legal department. So I'm curious if I were to take, because I sort of feel like, Grant, your role at at Reed Smith is a bit more of that diverse perspective that we are now seeing in law firms that maybe we didn't have a couple of years ago. And so what were some of the great moments for you during the workshop and how did you bring that forward um, to, you know, to your role at the firm once you, once you left Redmond? Absolutely, Rebecca. Um, well, yes, I will say, um, I, every, every time I, I meet somebody, uh, whether it be a client or even in other firms, they say, what's your role again? You know, so it, it's, it's definitely a nuanced position, but I think they are becoming more, um, more prevalent in the market these days. But uh, this was extremely exciting for me. Um, coming from a consulting background and then applying these, uh, you know, I'm going to use the term business, business analysis principles that, that Josh and Kim um, we're so so good at explaining it through a design-focused lens and a process execution lens. Um, but but just being a part of a workshop where I had you know someone like like yourself and Jason and, and Josh and Kim all in a room um, using using these terms um, through a legal legal ops and legal process execution lens um, was just extremely exciting for me. Uh, because it's something that I, I, I do on a day-to-day basis um, internally with our um, attorneys at Reed Smith and our practice groups and externally on my own matters with our uh, with some of our clients. Um, so it was just a, a breath of fresh air. And um, one of the aha moments for me um, in particular was when, uh, and Josh, Kim, please correct me if I butcher this, but uh, one of the first slides they brought up showed this uh, business operations stack that we're all so familiar with. Um, and it's, I'm gonna cringe when I say it, but there's really no other way to say it, but the, the people process technology stack, right? We hear it all the time. Um, I've used it plenty of times and writing up advisory memos for clients and PowerPoint decks. Um, and there's a lot to that, but the aha moment for me was breaking that triangle out into a square, uh, adding in experience, 
do that. So people process technology and experience. And it was kind of one of those things where when you're going through process modeling and mapping and true business analysis and requirements gathering um, with whoever your client may be, um, if you're doing it right, you're focusing on experience at the end of the day. Um, so to call it out and to have its own bucket and visualize it that way was uh, was a game changer for me. Uh, in particular, I happened to be um, on an engagement during this trip to Redmond with uh, my business partner, Jeff Lane. Um, and I was doing a true advisory resolutions consulting project with one of our clients. And uh, in my capstone deck, um, I actually had, after this, after this meeting, I actually called out experience. And that was something that, you know, was usually talked about um, in, a, in a delivery uh, of a deliverable. Um, but I, I never called it out the way uh, Josh and Kim had, had done so well with explaining and, and making its own, um, you know, text box on their deck. It, it just really stuck with me to actually call out, emphasize experience on top of the people process and technology stack. And um, yeah, so since the, since the Redmond meeting, I've, I've actually used this in our client deliverables um, and calling out that experience component uh, just to emphasize it. And it's, it's been a huge um, encouragement and exciting, you know, tool to add to the toolkit. You know, that's great because I think that, you know, so a lot of our listeners who are at law firms and also, I mean, a law firm is a business like any other. Um, they're always interested in the client experience, in, in the buying power of their clients. What has been the reaction now that you've introduced this into what you're already doing, um, which which also in and of itself sounds very different than typical law legal service delivery, um, you know, now that you've added it in, what do, what are you seeing? What are you seeing as the reaction from your clients? Because I think that's important here. It's not just this all sounds great and good. We're talking on a podcast. We had an afternoon or a day at the office where we did this. But what are the real world benefits that you're seeing by even bringing more of that into what you do? So real world benefits immediately were with the reaction of, oh, they get it. <laughs> um, I think uh, a lot of times being external counsel, uh, you know, we get the, the stigma and, and rightfully so. Sometimes we come in with our, with our toolkit, we say, oh, you should do it this way and, and, and boom, right? Like that should fix your problems. Oh, you had these risk areas, these exposure areas, this isn't going right. Do this and we're done, right? Very transactional. Um, by shifting the focus to, um, and taking the time to understand the experience uh, of who you're working with, whether it be me working with um, other in-house uh, in-house people uh, with our clients, or whether it be me working with some of our partners that are, you know, internally at Reed Smith, uh, taking the time to focus on experience um, sets the tone for a, a very collaborative workspace, if you will, because um, because it is that that human element, right? In uh, all of these things that we're talking about, when we're working with uh, clients, processes, technologies, they go to what Josh mentioned earlier, right? One thing that I've learned being a non-attorney is that if you put a process map in front of a bunch of attorneys, they're going to find all the problems in the world. So idea generation is 
not a problem at all. It's that next step of implementation, right? That implementation and integration piece that that Josh spoke of earlier is is where you know the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and and that really comes down to the change management aspect of it. And two of the you know when we think about change management, two key components of that is you know you know enabling action by removing barriers and then generating short short term wins. Um, and those two things are the, from what I've experienced, those are the most difficult pieces uh, of successful change management. And no coincidence to that, it ties directly to what the experience is of the person that's being impacted by the change, right? It could be a new, a new process or a new technology, but if it's not designed right, if it's not, if it's clunk, like if it's a techno- piece of technology and the user interface is clunky and revolves too many clicks or too many manual processes or doesn't sync to the right systems, it's going to negatively impact and it's going to therefore become a barrier and not generate short-term wins, thus stopping the change initiative. Um, and, and so from my experience to circle back around has been that, you know, speaking about experience and calling it out more with my clients and our clients at Reed Smith, it's, it's really lent itself to be more of a, a partnership and less of a transactional relationship. Oh, that, that's great. You know, there there's something I want to hit on, and I think you sort of talked about it in terms of like, you know, throwing up the process map and people wanting to correct it. I think that there's also kind of the theme that you woven about really considering that customer experience. Um, and so, you know, I think when, when legal was just trying to tackle this issue way back when, you saw the, uh, the evolution of roles like legal project management. You saw all sort of, you know, more of a focus on pricing and scoping and all of these things. And I sort of feel like those were the baby steps that legal needed to do to get to this better place of, of sort of thinking about the client experience um, and a more evolved way of thinking about the delivery model, um, which is all great and good. And, and I think it's, it's getting there. But I think what also might be helpful, and I'll open this up to anybody on the call, is what is the importance? of piloting and sort of incremental sort of delivery because, you know, I think that there is this um, tendency to want to build the perfect system. So you start out um, and everything must, you've done your mapping, you've done your client, you know, your user interviews, you've done focus grouping, but but what, how does piloting and making incremental steps and, imp- you know, improving on those iterations, how does that play into all of this? And it should it be part of your design thinking plan for any sort of initiative you're trying to roll out? And again, I will throw this out to anybody in the audience, I'm sorry, not on the audience, on the call that wants to pop in on this because I feel like I don't want to, you know, we shouldn't um, throw progress under the bus because we want to get everything perfect from the get-go. This is Josh. I'll I'll take a first stab at that uh, and try not to take too much time. Well, you've hit on a great thing. I mean, it's 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 a it's a huge conundrum. Um, once you get people's time and attention to 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 take corrective action or proactive um, sort of um, work, it's everyone gets excited and immediately 
the what well, what's the ROI? Give me the deliverable, right? Give me the deliverable. The classic sort of um, sentence or request that you hear while we're doing all this. And so, in our experience, again, this is from our experience and, and sort of driven by our methodology. The, the, the need for the pilot is, yes, you want to test things, but it's not really it's not really about that. What we do is we try to when we think about whatever change effort we're trying to do, whether it's a new practice group in a law firm, a new sort of service line and in-house function is one of the very first questions we ask and we never stop asking it is what do we need to measure? Um, and generally how you want to design a pilot is you want to break down your core measurements again, that are probably going to be uh, there. It's going to be a combination of hard factors and a hypothesis at that point, what you can measure, what you should measure, what's meaningful to whom. And you break that pilot into those milestones to achieve one of those measurements, right? If you can sort of secure the new environment so that you're actually you have a greater degree of confidence that you're measuring one of those metrics, that it's important, that you have the systems in place. And here's the big thing, that you're actually showing impact. You don't always have to show improvement because actually the new process or the new change can have a detrimental impact on something you're measuring. We don't tend to get too worried about that at first because you're in a pilot that's actually good news. That means there's actually an impact happening. You you obviously need to refine something to move it back in the positive direction, but sort of really stacking the pilot in those measurable steps versus whole hog. First of all, if you go whole hog in a pilot, you're gonna overconsume resources, you're gonna drive change fatigue, your measurement systems aren't mature enough, so even if you're successful at the end of the pilot, you're not gonna be able to really stand behind the business case in the most confident way and posture that you could have. So that pilot often is misused concept in our space. We're thinking like that's the, well, we're going to try it. Let's go see. Let's launch it with a with with a client, and we'll just sort of figure it out. And this whole fail fast mentality, and I, I won't take up too much of the listeners' time or your guys' time with sort of going off on that. But that fail fast mentality that's borrowed from startups. There's a translation that needs to happen in our space that isn't happening right now, um, and and that's sort of getting people off on the wrong track. But I'll pause there. Hopefully, it shared some something valuable in terms of how we approach the pilot and the value of it. This is Grant. Josh, I just want to piggyback off what you said because I think you're spot on. Um, You know, to to Rebecca's point about incremental approaches, you know, there's a reason uh, coming from the consulting realm, like there's a reason why waterfall structured projects are, are, have faded and we're right. Everybody hears about agile development. Well, that's actually extremely important. That is incremental. Um, and the idea around agile development is continuous development, integrating, testing, pivoting when needed, and continuing to get the best uh, in product and or service, um, in, our, in our case, services. Um, and, and sometimes products, uh, you know, when we're, we're developing a product with the client, whether it be a piece of technology, it's, you know, one of the barriers that I feel like big law has. Um, and, and it's a good thing, but it's also a, a, an obstacle to overcome is, so, so many of the people that we engage with on a day-to-day basis um, are, are high performers, highly intelligent individuals, um, that there's this innate fear of this isn't final or this isn't perfect yet. Um, I don't want to release this. I don't want my client to see it yet. I don't want to try this yet. Um, 
there, there's that natural hesitation, that human element of that. Um, so, so that the, the shift that we're seeing is focusing on uh, experience and focusing on incremental development um, with whatever service or product um, you know, is, is at the table. Um, and it's just, I, I feel like it's just right for the market in our industry with legal ops um, continuing to grow, own more strategy, um, the in-house teams owning so much more strategy um, with all the big companies. And I, I feel like that this agile development incremental process is it's just spot on for it. This is Tim. I just wanted to add one point that with piloting, we see a need to keep momentum. Once the team has gotten excited and built on that curiosity to design the solution, one of two things happens. Either a team jumps to throwing that solution out there before it has been vetted and tested, or they hunker down and spend significant time building just the right perfect quote-unquote effective communication, training plan and such. And there's this big gap between when they've designed that solution and when they bring it out to test it in the wild. And that can really slow down because of a lack of the momentum of which the team itself had. So you have to figure out how to leverage your pilot, your testing touch to continue that momentum as you bring it into the wild and find just the right balance between the vetting as well as not spending so much time getting it perfect, like my fellow panelists said, but you really want to harness that momentum, that excitement, and get something out there that can be tested. So this is Josh. I'm just going to jump in on this on this conversation and just add one more sort of layer that's that's very practical, um, and it it applies to law firms and in-house teams too. And and we've got a client, a large firm right now, where we spent on the front end sort of designing a brand or re-engineering really a service model. An existing one wasn't really profitable, really didn't have a, a competitive advantage. And we've spent you know the last several months working with them to redesign that and going through all the stuff that we're talking about here. The next step is is a is a pilot along with some other work. The other value of a pilot is it stress tests. It stress tests the culture. It stress tests the resolve of the key stakeholders, quite honestly, because it's one thing to design something on on paper, let's call it. There's a lot more that goes into it, but let's say design on paper. But when you go live with some element of it, it immediately, immediately brings to light all the nervousness, all sort of the hand wringing, um, second guessing that leadership is going to have, that the users are going to have and all that. And again, it goes back to that, that hidden, often overlooked thing. You can have a wonderful model that is, that is optimally designed that is just for whatever reason, something that the culture or the business practice of the team or organization just you're not going to know if it's if it's going to fit with it until you do that. And so that's really one of those huge 
emotional blocks that people have to get over. And that pilot forces that to the surface in a very safe environment, in a very controlled environment. But it's absolutely one of the key things of driving forward with a pilot. You can square up your change management burden on a whole new level once you start to go into that pilot mode. Yeah, and I think you hit on something sort of in that is is having that psychological safety to to withstand the fact that it is a pilot because you are right. We have piloted a number of things and it's when all the like just all the things you just never thought were going to be an issue come to light and you have to be in a culture and an organization where it's sort of understood and okay and expectations of it said that that is the purpose of this pilot and this exercise is to uncover all of those so that we can make improvements on a sort of go forward basis. Um, and I'm wondering, Joe, in sort of the work that you do with your team, ha- have you seen sort of some of this sort of piloting? Have you used that with your team and what you did? And and also, it's sort of interesting. I'd like to understand, having done what you did and put it into practice, I think, what are some of the insights that you've sort of gathered from it? You know, are you gathering data that helps your team sort of make improvements in how they um, sort of take those processes forward? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. So, I think that the the most valuable piece of it was giving everyone a three hundred and sixty degree view and allowing everyone to be able to contribute everything they possibly can at every point uh, in a process uh, where they may not have been plugged in before or where you know they may not have been asked for their input at a particular point. Um, and so that's what's been really, really valuable. Um, and I think it you know helps you kind of grow closer uh, to each other as well. Um, and in doing it in kind of an abstract setting as opposed to with respect to like a specific project, uh, it allows for that sort of psychological safety that you know you're not saying oh you did this wrong last time. It's really here's what everybody's doing, and oh I could help you with this. Oh I can help you with that, and suddenly things are moving um, more smoothly in a way that you didn't even know was possible, which is fantastic. And then in terms of piloting, I, I can't say we've done anything that formalistic. Um, you know, for us it's really been more about minor tweaks, uh, more insight into each other as teammates, uh, and a greater ability to leverage each other's strengths at different points in a workflow process uh, and leverage the strengths of folks outside of our organization as well. So I think iterative, absolutely, um, not super formal. Uh, And then in terms of sort of data, uh, you know, I think of data, I think if you know a thousand points of sales data or delivery data, you know, nothing like that, right? But uh, just more information, uh, more visibility, more opportunities for collaboration, more opportunities to ask others for help in places where you didn't know that help might assist you in, in improving what you're doing. So all up super valuable. Uh, I think we're still still working through all this and and you know as as josh has indicated you know this kind of process is not something that lawyers are are trained to do uh in their formal legal training so it's it's 
Uh, I think we all probably do it a little differently as a result, but it's just a good thought exercise and a good process exercise. That's great. Thank you. So, you know, I I feel like we could talk about this all day long because we had a workshop that took up more than half the day. Um, but do you, does anybody have any sort of parting comments for the audience? You know, I think we, we've talked about why it's important. Um, we've talked about how people have sort of practically taken what they learned at the workshop and applied them to their, their, their um, work streams and the way that they work when they've gone back to their offices. I mean, we touched on change management, psychological safety, um, the importance of piloting. Um, and each one of those could be its own uh, podcast. So I will leave it open for any parting words um, from this this group of, of folks um, just to see if we can book into this a little bit. Uh, this is Grant. I, I, I would just say that, um, you know, kind of to echo what I, I mentioned earlier, was it, it's just exciting to see that these types of this thought process and these, this type of work is, is found its way into legal departments. Um, I know management consulting for the longest time, right? You, you focus on uh, product development, manufacturing, sales, marketing, finance, you name it. And, uh, and the legal office is, 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 you know, historically speaking, kind of been, been left to, to function as the, the in-house law firm. And, um, you know, times are changing and uh, the, the legal office and compliance offices are now owning so much strategy and are such an integral part of the C-suite and driving company strategy um, that it, it's time that that they had, you know, attention paid, paid to their ops and, and to, to modernize um, and to streamline things and, and to make things more optimal. And um, it's exciting to see, uh, you know, people like Josh and Kim out there uh, working with in-house teams, working with other law firms to, to train on this type of thinking. And, it, you know, Jeff, one, one thing I'll, I'll leave with Jeff and I, uh, Jeff Lane and I, when we left, we said, well, that was pretty genius of Microsoft to get all of their outside counsel together and train them how to think. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was one of the things we, we left laughing about, but we're very appreciative of. And uh, we even left on the, on the thought of, wouldn't it be great to, to see what Josh and Kim can do if, if they were able to come out to Austin sometime and, and facilitate a workshop like this where we could have a CLA with our clients or something. So, um, all that goes to say it was just a very encouraging experience and um, looking forward to, to see what Microsoft and Bold up do, do next. Great. Joe, I think one of the interesting that Grant sort of talked about, and I wonder, you know, if, if one of your law firms that supports your team had come to you with the thought of doing some sort of a process mapping exercise or had come with some of these de design elements um, to the way that they deliver services, what what would have been your reaction? I think it kind of depends on how, how it was framed, right? If, yeah. if it's, hey, we see you guys have a process. It's terrible. We're going to tell you how to do it right. Just so you, know. <laughs> you know, I think we probably would have been a little bit resistant. But, I mean, something that we have done for a long time is always try to do postmortems after big matters um, with our outside law firms. And that's not just uh, in the competition law group, but throughout litigation, investigations, compliance, a lot of other folks that I've worked closely with um, 
over the years. And so, you know, if, if a law firm had said, hey, let's do a postmortem where we break down the processes and see where we can improve for next time, I think we, uh, you know, you kind of got to wait for the right moment till the sort of right. the, the, the excitement has died down, so to speak. But um, I think at, at Microsoft, with the culture we have, that would be greatly appreciated to see. And we do it anyway, right? But it's generally initiated by us, um, and firms are always very happy to do it. I think, I think it's it's good uh, to do that kind of thing because I think as an outside practitioner, you're always uh, constantly worried. You know, am I being perfect? Am I am I giving exactly the right advice at the right moment? Is my work product exactly as polished as it needs to be at every step step of the way? Um, and allowing for more of a give and take uh, and, and and more of a, a fluid process where you realize you're sort of all in this together, running in the same direction. Um, but yeah, a law firm coming to us and saying, we would like to do this. We'd like to go over what we thought worked well and, 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 and can use improvement and how we're going to put that in practice next time. Uh, yeah, we welcome it. Absolutely. Every day of the week. Well, great. So I will sort of end this with a little bit of a sort of public service announcement from Josh and Kim. So obviously, if client, if folks are interested, they can contact you at your website, they can talk to you about the services. But I know that you guys do a lot of sort of conference um, presentations and what have you. So where might folks see you next? Um, yeah, so thank you for that. First of all, thank you for, <laughs> for, for having us today and, and inviting us in to do this and to continue to work with you guys. Um, so yeah, we're actually slowing down on, on the okay. talks and all that. Um, the reason is, thankfully, it's, you know, we launched last year. Um, and this year, we, we've got excellent clients and engagements and some fascinating work. And we didn't talk about it on here. But you know, we've been honing our methodology we call it service venturing and practice venturing. And we've got a bunch of engagements that just really has have us working on that work right now. And so I think in a maybe the next conference cycle or something, when we have a lot more data and outcomes to share, we'll probably get back up on there. But for the meantime, yeah, we we obviously enjoy talking about this. Um, and anyone can reach out. It's not like you guys know this. You don't reach out and we automatically go into sales mode. Like uh, we give a lot because we have a lot to learn. So we welcome these conversations. So encourage anyone to sort of reach out to us. All right. Well, with that, um, thank you all for joining. This has been a wonderful conversation and um, we're going to add this to our podcast list as well as some other resources um, for folks to to look at. Um, and with that, I'll, you know, again, thank you all and have a good day. Mm-hmm.